0: That's where I see the real challenge. The only thing that we can do is continue to strive to be better, um, to have people follow our mission and believe in what we do. And when people try our product, hopefully they love it enough that they try it again and continue to buy the product because they've got good taste buds.
1: The global food system is facing unparalleled challenges and changes. So how can we reset for a better, more sustainable future? Introducing Control-Alt-Meat, the weekly podcast that explores the issues transforming the global food business. I'm your host, Katie Briefel. Come join me as I speak to the innovators and investors, policymakers and product developers, the scientists and the chefs, who are all on the front line reshaping the future of our food. This week's episode is with Simeon van der Molen, British entrepreneur, CEO and founder of Moving Mountains, a privately owned British food tech company leading plant based meat innovation. The original Moving Mountains burger, the UK's first vegan bleeding burger, is targeted at the ever growing flexitarians market. Since launching the Moving Mountains Burger in 2018, after three years in development, the business has rapidly expanded to being served in over 5,000 European restaurant and retail locations and has developed further product lines such as plant-based fish. Headquartered in London, Moving Mountains is not just a food tech company. The organisation describes itself as leading the movement of plant-based meat. Together, we can change the world. Together, we can move mountains. Simeon, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast.
0: You're welcome. A pleasure to be here.
1: So you launched Moving Mountains, I think, in 2016. Is that right? Yeah,
0: going back that far, yes.
1: Yeah, and I think the plant-based meat alternatives were in the early days of that business, right? You had like the beginnings of Impossible and things like that coming onto the scene. And now we've got a real plethora of brands who are playing in this space. What sort of makes Moving Mountains different? I
0: think probably being one of the first of the... The front runners in this new plant-based category um, has certainly set us apart from the others in terms of our mission and our goals that we want that we want to achieve uh, but also the quality of our products as well now I chose the company moving mountains and it would be a shame that if we don't move a few while while doing this and and the goal is just not not just to move mountains in the plant-based space and change the whole food arena but actually move people's own internal mountain that the, the the products are amazing sensational and they they taste great and when I first moved into this space back in 2016, and if you if you look at what was on the shelves then, and it was burgers in the shape of in the shape of a burger, but basically a squashed falafel, and everything was a little bit dry and not very exciting. And when Moving Mountains and Beyond and Impossible all entered the game, it's this new wave of of plant-based products which are tasty, exciting, um, and can actually really make a difference and help to transition. People who are having a, a carnivorous diet to maybe less of one, which is what it's all about, because people who are following a, a vegan diet, they're already vegan, so they don't need anything to persuade them to, to switch. Whereas if someone that's following a carnivorous diet wants a nice big, tasty, juicy burger that looks and looks like beef, tastes like beef, smells like beef, and then that's going to get them to transition. So the whole goal of of moving mountains, and what we want to achieve is to have more people transition. And um, you're correct that a lot more other companies have jumped on the bandwagon, so to speak, but it's uh, a good thing for the industry as long as these products are also very high quality. Uh, Unfortunately, in in my opinion, not all of them are up to scratch. But um...
1: Yeah, there's been some discussion around um, questioning some brands of nutritional value. But I think, as you say, if we can try and get more people who are sort of carnivorous onto a more plant-based diet, then that's a bit of a win in itself. And talking about transitioning people, Am I right in thinking that you had a sort of health diagnosis that inspired this journey?
0: Oh, yeah. So, originally, I mean, how it started, I mean, I can go back right to the early days of being nine nine years of age when I first eliminated meat from my diet and was fed up with milk and cheese, and then that was from nine to 11 and then moved back again. So. I think people, as as they age, go through various different phases in their life and people change with the people that you meet and the people that you surround uh, yourself with. I would say from my point of view, it's back then when I was, I mean, we're going back 35 years. Mm. uh, It was so hard to be, to follow a vegan diet with complete lack of choice for me because I love. I love junk food, if that's what <laughs> you can call it. Um, I so was, what was the
1: what was the, the reason why you switched over?
0: I hated the taste of milk, uh, as in dairy milk. I found it foul, I found the taste disgusting, um, it made me used to, it made me want to vomit. And I think when I was I was at uh, school and in the age when children were forced to drink milk every morning. And we were given these glass bottles at 11 and we had to drink milk through a straw. And I used to think it was gross, yet I was forced to drink it because we were convinced it was good for us. The only thing it did is make me six foot four um, and completely out of proportion, like everyone else in Holland, um, who is also completely tall because they drink so much milk, eat so much cheese. And and as we know, milk and cheese is for calves to drink from their mother so that they can grow into a great big, full-sized cow. And the more humans eat this, the bigger everyone is going to become. Oh, I I hated the taste of milk. And I would put orange juice on my cereal and everyone would laugh at me, but then I would say, Well, orange juice is, is a product of from nature. Milk, dairy milk has come from a cow's stomach.
1: Yeah, and so and so on the subject of taste, I've seen Moving Mountains win so many great taste awards. I see it yes. sort of yesterday there was a big announcement that you won three. Yeah. Which is amazing. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your product development process, how do you get your products to taste so great and to taste so similar to these meat products that meat eaters love so much?
0: I think first of all, you've got to have within yourself the determination to want to have the best products and want to have them tasting amazing. You within yourself have got to have such high standards and then that follows through down in through the company. and thankfully, I was born with great taste buds and an incredible nose, probably oversensitive, <laughs> that I would work so well with sensory analysts and flavorists. Um, and I could pinpoint exactly what were in flavors, what were the off notes, what are the key notes to use. Um, and they loved working with, with me as well. And uh Sometimes I get feedback from them saying, you know, it, it's testament to yourself that moving mountains is successful because very rarely do we work with someone who is so passionate about flavouring and how to get these these products the sort of flavour correct. And we work so well that now I just need to ask them for a particular flavor and they know what I'm what I like. And if, if, it, if I'm not happy, it goes straight back to the drawing board and they have to come up with something else.
1: That's great. And and how do you go about replicating the texture? Because surely that's even harder than the flavour, right?
0: Depends on the product. I think, you know, replicating a, a processed product um, is always going to be so much easier than trying mm. to replicate a piece of beef of muscle or, or a chicken breast. So replicating a hot dog, everyone thought, well, that's going to be really easy because it's just an emulsion and you, you just blend it and then you form it. Well, actually, that was one of the hardest products to make um, to actually get the texture firm enough to equal a real pork hot dog. Um, but, you know, where there's a will, there's a way and you just keep at it and keep trying. And, you know, sometimes things don't always work out right. I do... Cross-reference with the the animal protein counterpart uh, in terms of flavour, in terms of texture. I have to I have to try to remind me of what this food tasted like, mm. um, and what the texture was like. And I'm going no, we're so far away from the real item. Mm. that we can't, we can't launch this back to the drawing board.
1: Simeon, why was it important for you for it to, to have uh, burgers that bled, quote-unquote?
0: I don't think we ever really called them bleeding ourselves. We wanted them to be super juicy because that's what's lacking from a falafel burger. I mean, I would order them in restaurants and you'd get them in a dry bun and a dry bun falafel burger and nothing against falafels, but it would be so... It would just be so dry and uninspiring. And (laughs) I wanted it to be juicy. But then the press, I think in the UK and also in America, the press started calling it the bleeding burger. But they didn't just call it the bleeding burger. They called it the vegan burger that bleeds because it's such a contradiction. Vegans don't want anything that bleeds. Um, But it took time for everyone to understand. And still so many people who are passionately vegan, and I love them, still don't appreciate why we're making these products we get emails and social media you've missed the point vegans don't like eating these products and we, go, well, we do know that um, we want to we want to convert people mm. we're looking at the big wider market and um you know the uh, I, it's going to take years it's going to for decades in fact
1: but there's a lot of progress being made already. I mean, I've in the last two years, I think there's been a real shift. But I mean, you you started as we've talked about um, as one of the earlier brands, and we've talked about the challenges you faced in product development, for example. What were the other challenges you faced? You've talked about this backlash from some vegans. Were there was there like other sort of perception problems at the start?
0: Oh God, 100%. Yeah. Well, other other people would literally. So what happened in restaurants, which is where we first wanted to launch, because that's where it's so considered to be so premium if you get your product named on a restaurant menu where well, hey I mean you, you've got a great product and uh, and that builds your premiumness in terms of quality and, and perception and um,
1: you launched with dirty bones not is that right correct yeah so when we have a strategy
0: yeah I mean they, they didn't have anything vegan on their menu at all, anything plant-based, rather. But presenting the burger to people like Dirty Bones or to other... I mean, they, these people are so convinced about how great animal protein is for them that they just don't want to listen. And at that time, we were categorised as a Corn or a Linda McCartney. Yeah. Um, but then when... Uh, Beyond went public and made national news, well, sorry, international news. Uh, Then that changed everything. People started to wake up to this new new way of eating so that kind of changed everything it made it really in the uh
1: mainstream yeah main and so you place. went to dirty bones which for listeners who don't know it's a sort of meat lovers restaurant how did you convince them to get this on their in their restaurant what was the strategy there
0: i think it was originally it was our, our pr company that kind of reached out to them and saw this contradiction and um they were you know they were they were pretty open to the idea after they tried the burger. In the beginning, it was like, yeah, yeah. But then after they tried what we were doing and how realistic we wanted it to make, uh, then they were open to the idea and then they did the launch party. Um, And I think that, you know, having, having, having chefs with an open mind is so important because in order to get onto a menu in a restaurant, you've got to get past the chefs and the chefs are great at taste, they're great at texture, they know what they want. They're the complete opposite of buyers from a supermarket that don't know what they want, can't taste anything. Um... They've just come from the detergent section from, or, do, or doing nappies, and then they're plumped into the food section. And all of a sudden, they're giving an opinion on food. So I think that buyers in supermarkets should come from, should be chefs, my opinion. Um, but chef, you've got to get past chefs, uh, and they put it on the menu. So they're, they're like me. They appreciate good tasting food. And um, they cooked up the product. They tasted it, and they said, terrific. Right, what do you want to do? They wanted to create a product which served our burger with pasta on top, pasta and cheese. And I said, well, that sounds like a great idea. Let's give it a go. So they created the Moving Mountains plant-based Mac Daddy, I think it was called, back then and a lot of people went there to try it um, and uh, you know we, we launched from one restaurant to the next and I think probably a great one for us to be in is Hard Rock Cafe because they are the authority on great tasting burgers and um, if anyone wants to to try if anyone has not tried any of our products you want to try a great serve Hard Rock Cafe all across Europe where we're named on the menu there and they're, they're really good but then we rolled out into pubs across the UK from various different other other chains including Tim Hortons, Cars Junior in Spain.
1: At the start of 2020 I believe Sainsbury's was the first UK supermarket to launch the sort of moving mountains cook at home range which also included like the sausage burger. You talked a little bit about going into supermarkets what were the main challenges you faced going into that approach?
0: Supermarkets love everything to be cheap I think they don't really have an interest in quality. They just want something that's cheap and is going to sell and fly off the shelf. And mm. um, I always wanted to make something that was great tasting, was suitable for a Moving Mountains uh, product for, to go under our name and would, would, uh, would retain customers that would buy it and buy it again through taste and quality. Mm. And yet yeah, we had to Talk, we had talked to the buyer who was oh, who really liked the products after trying them the flavors were were were, were really good and um and said, OK, we're going to launch it, but we think the product's too pricey compared to others on the market. I said, we'll just look at the difference in quality. Surely there there are customers who can appreciate quality. And ultimately, we were correct. It's been a success, a success story in Sainsbury's. And I'm so glad we did decide to go into Sainsbury's. We followed up with Ocado and Waitrose because the pandemic, well, not the virus, but the government decided to shut restaurants down across the whole of the UK, uh, the whole hospitality, that was just closed so thank god we were able to rely on supermarkets for for trade but you know it's been good to get in the supermarkets because it's got our name out there uh as a consequence more restaurants have recognized us and, and more restaurants have put us on the menu it's good i
1: mean it's, it's astonishing looking at the shelf space that alternative protein takes up in supermarkets now versus even a few years ago it's so much more prominent um and i think it's just a sign of a sign of that change which is great um and you launched with the burger but then you've since created a hot dog you've you know released an alt fish product what's Uh the rationale behind these choices how does that approach
0: go we work on various different products all the time and it's uh whichever one comes to the front and uh, is the best product to launch at that time i mean we had done so we, we look at different categories so we had done beef uh we went on to to pork with our hot dog and uh, meatballs so it's like you know we need to look at what can we do next and uh no one had really done anything great in fish at all it mm. was terrible. And, you know, th- no one was giving any attention to what's going on out there in the oceans. And this was 18 months ago, long before Sea Spiracy came out. And, mm. you know, I thought that, you know, billions of fish are being hauled out of the, the oceans every day. And, you know, pretty soon we're going to end up with depleted fish stocks, you know, all around the world. And, or all fish will be farmed out of the Far East. It's not sustainable to have these trawlers dredging up our oceans. And in our small way, we wanted to do what we can and create what is the best-selling fish product to are certainly in the UK, which is a fish finger, um, which has received incredible reception uh, as being you know, the most realistic in, in texture and in flavour. Um, and that's, again, what it's... What it's about, it's about creating a fish finger where kids or people cannot tell the difference, so then they will buy the plant-based one. There's been there's plenty of other plant-based fish fingers, but none of them really look or taste like fish fingers should. So that's where we come in. We really want to make it as close replication as possible. In terms of what's happening next, it depends really what is up and what's. What is at the top of the development curve? Because we've probably got about five, six, seven, eight products all under development at the same time. Um, whichever one makes a breakthrough is is going to be the, uh, the the one we go with. But still, no one has uh, no one has ever been able to achieve a, a Frankfurt a hot dog, anything like ours. Everything is based on also on a lot of the food that I like. So I used to eat. So when I've gone through phases of being vegan or being not, or you know depending on, on who I'm with and my my thoughts at the time. My passion has always been um, for animals, but at the time when I was eating, I was eating meat, I would uh, go to the cinemas, cinema with friends and order a hot dog with ketchup all over it and yeah. eat it in the cinema and then get a stomachache and watch the rest of the film with a stomachache when eating this pork fat hot dog. But it was part of the experience. And, and I thought, God, I really miss a hot dog. So I tried everyone else's hot dogs that were on the market. And in my opinion, they weren't up to scratch. So I said, right, I really want a bull hot dog. So a, a lot of that, it, it's strange, but a lot of the MPD, um is very much driven by what I want. And if if, if it's something that I want, then it's something that other people should want as well these are foods that we miss when we're on a plant-based diet and
1: yeah absolutely i i think i used to miss um having a hot dog on a barbecue and as soon as i found um that you could actually get alternatives that tasted pretty similar i was like right i can go plant-based this is brilliant
0: i think it's very important and You know, some people say, yeah, but hot dogs aren't very healthy. And they go, well, certainly a pork hot dog, I wouldn't consider to be very healthy. I've seen how they're made. And it's all the scraps swept up from the floor and put in a bowl cutter, uh, allegedly. Uh, (laughs) But, um, you know, we can't eat a, well, certainly I can't eat a a diet of smoothies and, uh, you know, kale and nuts and fruit all the time. I need to have a burger or a hot dog um, or meatballs. and like how meatballs, which are so close and so amazing to, to real meatballs. And I know I sound like an advert. But I was thrilled with the development of that product. You know, it's so close. You just long for that taste again.
1: Um, yeah, and, and you're clearly going after a market that, you know, wants to eat more plant-based, it still enjoys that flavour of meat. And there are other brands in the UK that are really going after that market too. You have the likes of this who are really kind of like going for that corner. How do you try and um, differentiate yourself when it's getting increasingly competitive?
0: The market is certainly increasingly competitive. I don't consider other independents. Like this, I like what I like what they've done. I think they're very funny guys. Um, I think the real um, challenge is going to come from the very big legacy companies, um, which already have acres of shelf space in the supermarkets, which have billions of pounds, and I'm I'm talking about. Kerry Foods, We've, they've got two brands at the moment, which are really popular, Richmond Vegan and Naked Glory, um, which, which are very good. We've got Nestlé with Garden Gourmet, which is the dominated Europe. We're waiting, maybe Kraft Heinz have something around the corner, who knows? But these companies are the ones that don't necessarily, or Unilever is another one. They don't have to buy a small brand. They can have a development team and if they want to, they can they can create, but they're probably waiting probably for these companies. The market is not big enough yet. It's growing and it's probably almost there. So, you know, let's just see, Kerry have come in, Unilever. Um, that's where I see the real challenge. The only thing that we can do is continue to strive to be better um, to have people follow our mission and believe in what we do and when people try our product hopefully they love it enough that they try it again and continue to buy the product because they've got good taste buds.
1: Yeah and I just want to pick up on use the word mission um, and I know that you also I think founded the environmentally friendly detergent brand Ecozone before this so you clearly you know, like building purpose-driven businesses which have a clear mission at their heart. Why, why is that? What's sort of sparing that on?
0: I think it's probably myself, um, how sensitive I am. Even at the age of 12, I was appalled um, by whaling that I would see on TV that was going on in uh, Japan and Norway. And I, I joined, I it was back then, the Anti-Whaling Trust joined Greenpeace and I've always been incredibly sensitive and I just can't tolerate cruelty to to animals I can't tolerate hunters that just go and shoot for fun it is unacceptable you know we have got wildlife which is becoming extinct you know there was I saw a tv program and there was one guy saying that he wants to you can probably guess the country he was from but he wants to go and shoot a a snow-white leopard or something, and the reporter said, you know, there's only nine left in the world? And he goes, yes, I know that, and that's why I want to shoot and kill one before anyone else kills the rest. So it's very selfish. Um, that people want this leopard in their collection because they don't want anyone else to have it. So it's almost like collecting a limited Van Gogh painting, they see it as. They don't see that they are damaging nature. And this really hurt me when I was growing up. And... um, I wanted, you know, to try to do ways and how I could change this. And when you're young and you're 18, 19, 20, you don't really know what to do other than go and care for animals at a charity. But as life evolved, um, I got into my I got into a position where I could start a company and start to make a difference. And the only way I knew how there was I saw uh, how much pollution was was going into uh, the rivers at the time and I was appalled by that. Myself, I became allergic to the perfumes and detergent, So I wanted to create something that, uh, that wouldn't cause any allergies for, for anyone or pets. Uh, and also fabric conditioners that didn't contain tallow, which is beef fat. Um, so, you know, a lot of people didn't realize that they put beef fat in fabric conditioner or crushed animal bones in powder detergents 50, 60 years ago. Anything that was cheap would go into these products that, the, that these other companies would make. Um, and I still hear various different stories of what goes in the food industry these days. Um, you know, like what, what's
1: kind of the, the recent things that you've heard that are sort of surprised you? I've heard
0: that a, a biscuit manufacturer, was dredging the North Sea for a type of eel because they could crush it into a fat that was even cheaper than soya.
1: Do you know the, the name of the biscuit brand?
0: No, 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 I can't say. But, the, but it just shows you they are willing to dredge and destroy the ocean floor in order for price. But it's not just them that are to blame, it's the supermarkets as well for constantly putting price pressure on these companies and perhaps the consumer for constantly demanding lower prices. But I say it all comes back to what goes on at retail and the retailers don't accept any price increases. So what they do is they force these factories to go out and find cheaper alternatives to make their biscuits cheaper in order to satisfy the retailers' margins. And of course, they're not going to lose money, but it creates it creates price price pressure, and um, I, it's it's unacceptable. But yeah, I couldn't believe it. So just because soy they thought was too when soy is you know in some conditions is the cheapest product in the world. Um, of course, you can get very qualities of soy from half a cent a kilo to seven euros a kilo depending if it has to be non-GM of course has to be sustainable uh, not from South America um, or from North America even Um, but yeah I find um, I find these different stories shocking uh, and disappointing so I I clearly have a passion for for this and the way for me to channel this passion is to create commercial companies that can create a difference, be it a small difference, but for everyone and for the planet. The only other alternative is to go and protest, but I wouldn't be any good at that because I don't like standing out in the cold. Yeah,
1: and so you you did EcoZone, sorry, and then moved to Moving Mountains. What lessons did you learn from EcoZone that you applied to Moving Mountains?
0: I think branding and and, and mission. Um, I had learned a lot doing doing Ecozone um, in terms of, I mean, I knew knew a lot about finances anyway, but running a company, starting a company from scratch, going through the ups and downs without having any uh, investors, um, because I'm quite non-corporate, I, I don't tend to get on too well with the corporate world, uh, so I decided to run Ecozone all by myself, and Moving Mountains, as successful it is now, I I own Moving Mountains, uh, I, I didn't let any in, uh, any corporate investors in, any banks, and I, I might do in the future, but at the moment, I'm proud to say that it's uh, it's, it's still owned very <laughs> all by me. Um, and I've spoken to other competitors that say, oh God, we envy you. When they gave 50% of their company away in the beginning, then they have a load of hassle. But, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. It depends who... You... What
1: kind of hassle? Answering to stakeholders, do you mean? Yes, you've got to answer, provide reports all the time,
0: explain growth, explain non-growth. Um, and I'm just not the type of person that's very good at answering to somebody, so it would go a bit wrong. But maybe in the future, when I was, if I was to step away, then someone else could take over the role as uh, a CEO and deal with that a whole lot easier.
1: Yeah, and um, and looking into the future, so what what plans do you have for moving mountains? You you know, you've expanded globally a little bit. Is it going to be more of that?
0: I think the goal for us is to look at different sectors of, of where we can increase and continue to increase our uh, our retail offering. In the supermarkets that we're in that are very loyal to us and we're very loyal to them and we got on well with them also look at you know food service is very important for us it is it makes up 75 percent of our revenue so it's really key so our loyalty really is you know with with these soup with these restaurants um in food service the schools the hospitality um, you know, that's where we really started with. Um, and these are the ones that have had the hardest time in the last 18 months. And, um, you know, we've done so many promotions to get them back on track and, and offers because we know it's hard for them at the moment. Mm. Um, I see the brand evolving. I see the range evolving over time. I see Moving Mountains as being the um, probably one of the most respected uh, plant-based brands in the market whereas investors would like me to say the most successful. But, you know, being the most successful doesn't always mean you're the best. You know, Ford sell billions of more cars than Ferrari do. So it doesn't necessarily mean that a Ford build a better car than Ferrari do.
1: Mm. And you so know. that's the, the future plans for moving mountains. In terms of the category as a whole, what predictions are you excited about or what developments are you sort of expecting to see in the next few years? Not just at moving mountains, but everywhere. Category, yeah.
0: My wish is that every the other plant-based companies would up their game and just create a better product, force the supermarket to pay you more for it because that is going to create more people to transition. If you just put out anything, just at a price point, you're going to lose customers, not for yourself, but for us too, because they will walk away from the market. So, Mm. my, you know, these brands, they know who they are um, and I don't know how they can sleep at night, some of them, but they really need to up their game um, and do a better job because they're going to lose the whole market for them and for us. So, they've got to up their game number one. Now, if they do that, I see the category growing. Are you
1: talking Um, about UK-based brands or global?
0: Yes, UK-based brands. Anywhere in a country where I see local brands, these are the ones which are falling behind. Um, In the US, there is probably a lot more brands which are probably more up to scratch than we've got in the UK. Um, But don't forget, in the US, the retailers out there, even though it costs a lot to go on the shelves, but the retailers out there are far more accepting of brands than we are in the UK or in parts of Europe, whereas what you're starting to see in supermarkets in the UK is... A lot of them doing their own brand. Now, whether it's in the brand of the supermarket or they have created a brand, it's all about price and it's all about just cashing in on the movements and making what they can while they can, Um, not about quality of product. And they don't really understand or get uh, the point that, you know, we're trying to get people to transition. All they want is just sales per day, per week that they look at. It's
1: not it's not the longer term view.
0: No, it's not. But I think over time, and as you say, you know, things are changing. I just see I see the market evolving. I see more products, but also I see brands upping the quality of their product. And it is quality that will remain over over time.
1: Would you ever consider creating a, a novel product that isn't a replicate isn't replicating an existing meat product?
0: That would that would need an awful lot of pr and press to create a new product the type of companies that do that when they you know they're the uni leaders of this world when they create a new cereal or kellogg's or something like that create a brand new exciting cereal and then they've got the money to go out with it across national tv and everyone goes for it and that is um I mean, I can think of many over the years like Pop-Tarts or something like that with these pieces of bread with jelly in them. But so much money was spent on it. Everyone bought them and then they then they burnt people, and then I think they got scrapped or something like that. But there's over the years, but they're all created by these um, big legacy companies now anyway. But even if you go back to Pringles in the 60s, what was that, a Dutch invention from the 60s? And um, that may have started with a small entrepreneur, and then it gets bought by the uni leaders of the world. Um, So that was a different take on crisps. Um, The only thing is that people have... From the time they come out the womb, they are probably grown up with the tastes of meat and your palate, or even in the womb even, and your palate develops to these tastes of chicken, sausage, beef, burger, McDonald's, and the palate is kind of fixed and that's how people associate what is good tasting food and-
1: Edible and yeah, Yeah. exactly.
0: If we created a brand new flavor from nothing, on a product that looks so weird people would not eat it and it would be a very costly exercise for us so even though i have thought of that we haven't attempted it no
1: that's great Simeon. It's really insightful so if there were to be like one or two things that you'd love a listener to take away from this interview what would it be
0: uh, what would i like the listeners to to take away that you can with with belief and passion in, you, and in yourself and belief in yourself you can uh, achieve something you you set out to do and it is as long as you believe in it and as long as that's where your passion is you can you can achieve this and If you follow your heart and you find you're on the right track, that train just keeps going for you. Um, And even though the path gets very rocky sometimes and it can go uphill and downhill when you're on the track, just hold on and, and sail it out. I mean, when I sailed the company all through Corona, when our sales in restaurants and food service fell to zero all around the world, so I would say... You can you can certainly achieve achieve anything if it's your if it's your passion, you follow your heart, you follow your dream. Uh, also, secondly, plant-based is here to stay. I'm not sure if it will I, I don't look in short term or long term, I'm not sure it's gonna completely replace, but I certainly see it being in years, you know, in years to come, plant-based, cellular agriculture, um, traditional meat being much more of the mix, and who knows what can happen in the very long term. But, you know, it is it is here to stay. Don't give up. Do give our products a try. Um, and if you try some products that you don't like, whether they're someone else's or whether they're ours or whether they're Moving Mountains, don't give up because you will find products which are great for you and you can incorporate into your diet. And it doesn't mean that we want you to make a full transition. Moving Mountains is not... Uh, You know, we're not dictatorial in any way where you must become vegan. I've always said if you're someone that eats five burgers a week, imagine the difference you could make if you just swapped three of those burgers for Moving Mountains burgers. And that's cutting your beef intake. And just imagine if everyone across the whole of the UK did that. Beef intake would just be dramatically reduced. And then if everyone across the world did it. So it's not about converting anyone or fully transitioning them to become vegan for the rest of the world of their life which i think certainly scares people because when you talk about making a commitment for the rest of your life i mean it's like transitioning you know i mean people think my god i'm going to be like that forever um they get scared but you know meat free monday meat free week one month to stick with our products reduce your intake dramatically not just you know people eat way too much we eat bacon for breakfast ham and cheese for lunch uh, minced beef for dinner so I think just by reduction so my um what I'd like them to take away is to just reduce and replace and see how you feel
1: amazing thank you so much to um very insightful and great listening about your journey and your mission and your why behind um moving mountains so thank you well thank you for having me Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Control-Alt-Meet. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on social media to help us reach more listeners like you. You can also visit controlaltmeat.com to learn more.